Good Monday morning, and welcome to another episode of the podcast, Insanity, A Peace of Mind. I am your host, Stephanie. I am recording episode 148, and I'm going to continue with the nervous system and polyvagal, and I'm probably going to do it in the context of the holidays. Um, in the arena of social media that I participate in and or follow, there is a lot of stuff and a lot of conversation around the holidays, whether it's family related, dealing with distinct and different personalities. It could be stress related to how you want to engage in the holidays, that kind of stuff stuff. So I'm going to talk about the nervous system self-regulation in the context of how you might be able to pay attention to this and use these tools or tricks or this information in order to improve your holiday season, perhaps reducing your stress, maybe helping you change your story a little bit and increasing your ability to move between the three different states that our autonomic nervous system gets into. That's the premise. And I'm going to use some resource materials. They're actually just these really beautiful cards that I ordered off of Etsy from a United Kingdom counselor. And I'm going to use the information on the cards and maybe some of the language on the cards to help present a succinct way of understanding your nervous system and the states that you may find yourself in this holiday season. So bear with me because it, um, it's good stuff and I am really excited to see how this might be incorporated into your lives. So plan on sharing with us all what you experience after you learn this stuff. Last week's podcast was about neuroception and I had my husband on and he talked about his experience with what we are both assuming is a neuroceptive experience. And so with that as the backdrop, and then with some things that I promised in the podcast before, mapping your nervous system and understanding some keys to self-regulation, I'm going to start again with some review. So if review bothers you or annoys you, my apologies. It is the only way I can keep things contextualized. So let us remember that neuroception is a subconscious act. It is the automatic constant process where our body using all of our circuitry scans the environment for cues of safety, danger, or threat. Our organs, eyes, ears, nose, skin, tongue, taste, all of those things that we have help send instant immediate responses to or immediate messages to our brain. And then our body responds to them 
activating different states of our nervous system. If we perceive safety, then our ventral vagal state is activated. If we perceive danger, then our fight or flight state is activated. And when we perceive threat, I don't know if it's exactly correlated to threat, but when we perceive something as threatening, then our dorsal vagal state is activated and that is where we are shut down and immobilized. So I want to invite you to consider what your cues of safety, danger, or threat might look like. This is going to take some time. This is so individual. We will not have the same ones. People in the same families will not have the same ones. So as this relates to holidays and getting together with family and friends, you may perceive family gatherings as safe. And you may perceive the opportunity to bring people together, enjoy one another's company, share a meal, celebrate something as a very safe experience for you. And some of the words that might come up for you in a vagal, in a ventral vagal state might be joy happy, peaceful, grounded, connected. So those are the kinds of words that you might look for when you feel or perceive safety. Take that same experience and gathering together for celebrations or holidays may create a feeling of fight or flight for you you may feel more frozen or like you want to flee or fight. So this is a sympathetic nervous system. Okay. I need to back up for a minute. I didn't mean to say freeze. Freeze comes in the dorsal vagal state. So when we are in fight or flight, we're not freezing and this is our sympathetic nervous system okay so maybe a family get together causes you stress maybe a family get together includes family members who you do not feel particularly comfortable around or who have proven themselves to be unsafe for you Maybe they ask too many questions. Maybe they're nosy. Maybe they have expectations of you that you are not interested in meeting. And so this same event for you may cause you to feel like you want to fight or you want to flee. Words you might associate with that might be worried, angry, scared anxious, distracted. Come up with your own words. They may, you may have a hundred different other words that are ways to describe the way you feel in a fight or flight experience. So again, using the holidays and getting together with family, friends, whoever, you can see that we have two totally different potential responses to this. And if things are really bad, 
and there is trauma in your history, complex trauma, severe trauma, any kind of trauma in your history, perhaps the idea of gathering with family and friends around the holidays is not just a mobilized feeling of fight or flight, but perhaps it is a parasympathetic reaction in your dorsal vagal state, which is complete shutdown. This is where you're unable to engage in this. And so you may show up to this dinner in a state of dissociation or a complete state of shutdown. Perhaps you feel helpless. Perhaps you feel helpless about not attending and you feel like you have to attend anyway. So you feel hopeless. Maybe you are around people who create a feeling of shame or guilt in you. And this experience is less than tolerable. So using a holiday experience, you can see that there are three totally different ways to react with a multiplicity of descriptive words to describe how one might experience family or the holidays. So take a few minutes and maybe just ponder this. I will give you some more structure to help you kind of work through this, but just ponder this idea for a few minutes, maybe even pause the recording and maybe write down some words that you're feeling right now as you anticipate your next holiday get together. Try that. I'm going to tell you my experience and I'm going to use Thanksgiving because we just had Thanksgiving and we had 27 people over for Thanksgiving, which is not the most we've ever had, but it certainly is more than we have had in several years. And so when I think of Thanksgiving, as in started sending out the text messages about Thanksgiving, trying to get RSVPs, find out who's coming, I felt a sense of peace and calm and joy. I don't have any people in my family at this moment who are difficult or more difficult than actually they're not difficult at all. I let, I, let me be fair. I, I have an incredibly diverse, a group of people who came to Thanksgiving dinner, family members from my husband's side, lots from my side. We had a couple of extra friends. We had grandkids. I had nieces and nephews and my brother and sister and their spouses, my mom, all of my kids and their spouses, and nothing about the experience of preparing the guest list, okay? Let's just talk about the guest list for Thanksgiving caused me any activation in my fight or flight state or my freeze state. The only activation I had was in my social engaged state where I felt 
safe, secure, calm, and relaxed, and connected to all of the people I was inviting. So that is a very specific example of how to identify how you feel in your states. So let's say you are responsible for Thanksgiving. This is your holiday. And let's say you are obligated to invite some people or one person or a family who you do not perceive as safe. Now, this doesn't mean they're dangerous, okay? This just means that you don't perceive them as people who encourage you to feel joy or calmness or a sense of peace. These people might be the kind of people that you're worried about or you're stressed when they come. Maybe they're nosy, maybe they're Maybe they have weird food issues. It could be as simple as that, okay? Maybe they just have weird food issues and they don't like the way you prepare certain dishes or they always complain, or maybe they're actually kind of toxic and they're not good conversationalists and they are angry and they make everybody uncomfortable. You can have very different reactions literally moment to moment as you consider the experience or the events of Thanksgiving dinner. And so if you're responsible and you have to invite some people, you might go between feeling socially engaged as you look at your guest list and kind of fight or flighty as you look at your guest list. You can have both of those feelings at exactly the same time as you prepare a guest list for Thanksgiving dinner or a Christmas celebration or somebody's birthday party. So this is something that can be really, really finely tuned to help you see how you move in and out of your states or how you hold the states separately. In all likelihood, and I don't know if this is 100% true, in all likelihood, if you are in a place where you are feeling neuroception, you are feeling or perceiving threat, then my guess is, is you probably wouldn't necessarily volunteer to be in charge of Thanksgiving dinner, although I don't know that's necessarily the case, but maybe if this is something that includes this neuroception of threat, you would not be suitable or it would not be in your best interest to be the host or caretaker of holiday events. Just a little bit of a side note there. We can get even a little more specific with the guests who come to dinner. So let's stick with this observation of our nervous system states. And perhaps all of the guests have shown up and all of the food is there and everybody's visiting and people are eating and let's say you are at a table with a group of people who you perceive as safe. That doesn't mean there aren't people there who you're uncomfortable with or who you might be a little on edge around, but right now you're just at a dinner table 
in the dining room with six other people who you are socially engaged with. And you're feeling all kinds of those positive feelings. And I want you to imagine this as I'm talking about this. Again, if you want to pause the recording, imagine this place and sit with how you feel. You can pick your people, you know who they are, and it doesn't matter right now that in another room in the same house, there are people who you perceive as either dangerous or threatening. Again, let me be clear, these are not actually dangerous or threatening people in terms of physical safety or anything like that. This is just your neuroception of whether they are safe for you. But right now you're at a table with six other people and you're feeling pretty good. Now, let's say that after about 45 minutes or so, two people from the other room walk in and sit down at the table. And you might be able to pick these people out. You might know who they are in your life or your family. I want you to take a few minutes and see if you can recreate in your nervous system how it feels to be in the presence of two people who you do not perceive as safe. And what do those feelings feel like? Okay, what's coming up for you? Is there a little bit of anxiety? Maybe you're worried that someone's gonna say something inappropriate. Maybe you're worried that they're gonna criticize you or ask you about something that you have told them is off limits as a topic of conversation. Who knows what's going on? But the idea at this point is to begin to identify how quickly you can change between these states. Because once you identify how quickly you can move between the states, you can regulate yourself, right? So these two people come in, they sit down, and guess what? They're perfectly behaved. They engage in a conversation appropriately. Nobody is insulted. They're not asking inappropriate questions. They don't confront or argue. They don't bring up sensitive topics. And all of a sudden, you may not go right back into that vagal, that ventral vagal state, but you can feel yourself not settle in the uh, sympathetic nervous system state. So create this image for yourself. I'm using the holidays because that's what's coming up for everybody. You can use work, you can use certain friendships or relationships, you can use uh, any kind of place or space that you can identify how your nervous system moves between these states. This is really important. And it does take quite a bit of attention and intention because so much of it is instantaneous. It's like I said, our sensory perceptions are lightning quick and they are sending messages lightning quick. And then our bodies are reacting to those messages of safety, danger, or threat. And this is incumbent upon us to pay attention to this stuff. 
and to see how this is working in our lives. Okay, let's move from the guests, the guest list to, let's move from the guests, the guest list and dinner and everybody showing up to preparation, all right? Because preparation for holidays can be incredibly stressful. It can feel incredibly overwhelming and it can be a real serious point of contention. We may not think we're getting enough help. We may not be able to get people to volunteer to do their share. And there's all kinds of reasons. You might be a mom of young kids and you're trying to do everything yourself. You might have a Christmas tree up and you have to spend your entire day, every day, making sure your children don't touch the Christmas tree. These are stressful things. These are autonomic states. And it might be something as simple as attending to a Christmas tree, right? Or it could be something as significant as having a first holiday without a loved one. And that is going to have an impact on your autonomic state. So let's go back to preparations. I'm going to use me. So in September, we cooked a Thanksgiving dinner because one of my boys raised turkeys and ended up giving one of my daughters a ginormous turkey literally so freaking heavy i could hardly maneuver it we smoked it and basically had we smoked it i didn't smoke it my husband smoked it credit where credit is due and we had a thanksgiving dinner in september and then i had a lot of leftovers so i cleared off the turkey cleared off the turkey bones, put everything in an instant pot, cooked it down for broth. And then apparently I let the broth go bad, but I didn't let the turkey go bad. I froze all the turkey. So I have in my head this idea that I can decrease my Thanksgiving preparation by already having this turkey and then maybe just getting a turkey breast or a ham and I'll make it really easy because I was also out of town until three days before Thanksgiving. And so that was on my mind as well. At some point prior to Thanksgiving, probably after I sent out the invitation via text, it's not an invitation. It's like, Hey, Thanksgiving at my house, who's coming? My daughter sent a text that said, Thanksgiving charcuterie, call me. And I said, and then she sent me some photos. And I said, okay, fine. So I called her. And after some back and forth and some polling, right? Because I polled my family members because again, we're about to do something profoundly different than what we normally do for Thanksgiving. We're about to have Thanksgiving charcuterie which honestly made me a little anxious. So while I'm not scanning the environment for cues of safety, danger, or threat, in my own internal environment, I'm feeling a little bit of insecurity about this. Will people like it? Will they complain? Will they contribute? Will I get pushback? Will my kids want nothing but the tradition. So even as I'm thinking about Thanksgiving charcuterie, I am having a neuroceptive reaction, which does not feel completely safe. 
I might feel a little anxious. I might feel defensive if if I say to my sister-in-law that we're going to do Thanksgiving charcuterie and she says, oh, really? That might be enough to make me feel defensive. That might make me, that might be enough to make me feel like I have to argue or defend myself or change my mind, right? So in that moment, I am in a an autonomic state, which is my fight or flight state. So just an example of how this stuff works, even with preparation. So we decide that we're going to do Thanksgiving charcuterie. And I send the text messages out. I get the ball rolling, so to speak, right? And um, we talk about the kinds of things we want. Hard cheeses, soft cheeses, hard meats, soft meats, crackers, chips, cheese, dips, vegetables, chocolate. And I have all this turkey, right? So I am going to bring the turkey out and we are going to have turkey on our charcuterie boards with everything else. And so I'm getting these plans and I'm getting this all done and we're talking about it. And I'm kind of looking at who's signing up for what, trying to decide how to divvy up all the things. And I'm having a conversation with my husband and he says, well, are we going to have enough food? Okay, again, it's not a big deal, but it sets me into this fight or flight mode where I feel a little bit panicky. And that really was the word that I felt. I felt a little bit panicky, like, oh my gosh, I don't know if we're going to have enough food. I don't know if people understand that 27 people are coming for Thanksgiving dinner and it fluctuated between 27 and 25 and then up to 30 and then back down to 27 and up to 29. And so I'm thinking, oh my word, I wonder if everybody knows how much food they have to bring. Not, this isn't critical. This isn't life-threatening. There's nothing about this that is, a, this isn't about mourning. This isn't about grief. This isn't about heartache or hurt or actual fear or danger. This is just me in an, in an autonomic state of anxiety and stress about whether or not I'm going to have enough food. But it's real because it affects my biology and my physiology. And I feel certain things, right? My blood pressure might go up. I might feel a little bit uh, I don't know what words I'm looking for, but it, it is a real state. And so I send out a couple more texts to emphasize to everybody that we have 27 people coming for Thanksgiving dinner. Please make sure that you bring enough food. And that's how I take care of that. I, it's not immobilizing. I don't shut down. I don't throw my hands up in despair and say, oh, there's nothing I can do. I just send a couple more texts out telling people that we've got this many people coming for Thanksgiving. Please make sure that your food items can compensate for that. Well, holy Mary, mother of all that is good and holy, we had so much bloody food. It was fantastic. But in the preparation stage, there was a little bit of panic. And it was great. I can't tell you how great it was. Everybody loved it. Everybody really stepped up. Everybody brought their foods. They brought delicious foods. We had beautiful charcuterie boards that were made by my brother-in-law. And we had beautiful dishware that was brought over to me by my children because all of my dishes are 
sucky and they mismatch and they're crap and blah, blah, blah. But it was a sight to behold, which puts me in this autonomic state of ventral vagal, socially engaged, really feeling the love as I look at my family, file in with my my nephew offered to bring bruschetta because that's what he brought last year and everybody loved it. My niece brought this beautiful fruit tray, which was fantastic. My kids cooked multiple dishes and side dishes, the ones who lived at home. My sister brought the boards, borrowed them from other people and had desserts. My sister-in-law brought chocolate and I mean, I could just go on and on, but at this moment, as all of this food is filing in and part of the Thanksgiving experience was that we were going to put these boards together when we got there. So no one person was in charge. Everybody just opened up their stuff and they started putting it all over. And we had a board on the kitchen table and we had a board on the kitchen counter. And then we had another one in the, in the dining room at another table. And people were just walking around with stuff, putting crackers down and cheeses down and cranberries down. My son-in-law's mother brought cranberries and cheese and crackers and showed up. And it was a beautiful experience with, I would imagine, 27 of us, or maybe 25, because maybe we weren't all feeling the love, maybe 20 of us, feeling socially engaged, feeling in our ventral vagal state, joy, connection, happiness, peace. And all because we had Thanksgiving charcuterie. I could probably go on and on using these examples to illustrate how we move in and out of states. Ventral vagal, fight or flight, our sympathetic state, our dorsal vagal, our parasympathetic nervous system. And this is, I, I could and I should and I might and who knows, but the point is, is it's not, it doesn't require something big. It doesn't require something monumental in order to see how your states fluctuate during the day. So the idea behind the polyvagal theory is that we are going to experience these states multiple times a day. And the key, much like good health in many areas, is how quickly can you move out of your dorsal vagal state into your sympathetic state, into your ventral vagal state. So that's kind of the key, kind of like, you know, how quickly does your heart rate go back down after you've elevated it from severe or extreme cardio exercise? You know, a good measure of heart health is how quickly you can, your heart rate goes back down. Same with your with your vagal states. How quickly can you get back into ventral vagal is basically an indication of good mental health, so to speak. So let's talk about actual ways to increase your ventral vagal state. Now, in polyvagal theory, they refer to it as the ventral vagal break. 
I have never been able to actually really get my hands around that concept well enough to talk about it or describe it. So I'm not going to, I'm going to skip it and just go right to basically a list of things you can do to increase your ventral vagal state or move yourself up this ladder. So I want you to picture a ladder and it, this ladder has rungs on it. And this ladder is divided into three different sections. At the top is the ventral vagal state. In the middle is the sympathetic state. And in at the bottom is your dorsal vagal state. So that's kind of how I want you to picture this ladder. I want you to draw a ladder. Okay, that would be great. Draw yourself a ladder. And then put these label these different areas of your ladder and then use this as a visual to help you map your nervous system. So let's say you find yourself in sympathetic and you're mobilized. You either have to fight or flight. You have to fight or flee, whatever. And you, in that state, you're going to do something, right? You are going to move out of the way of perceived danger. You are going to defend yourself or fight back. So usually in those states, you're actually going to do something. And in doing that, you might just naturally move yourself out of that state back up into a socially engaged state in your ventral vagal. If you are in dorsal vagal and you are immobilized, that presents a little bit more difficult of a problem because it's very often, it's, it's not a mobilized state. So you're not doing anything. And that is a much harder state to move out of because you lack motivation. The world feels too heavy and overwhelming. There's a lot of reasons that's hard. So here are some of the things that can be done. And they can be done in the moment. They can be done as regular practices. But you want to sort of jolt yourself into a different state. Cold exposure is one that is a good jolt. Cold exposure can be anything from splashing cold water on your face, holding ice cubes in your hand, or having some sort of frozen something or other. You can freeze water bottles and maybe putting them under your armpits. Cold exposure jolts you out of a out of an immobilized nervous system state. Another one is to laugh. And this may seem silly and it may seem counterintuitive. And I want you to try it anyway. If you can just start laughing, you don't even have to laugh at anything. Although if you have enough motivation to find something funny on YouTube or on your phone, then certainly that's good. But you can also just laugh, just start ho, 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 laughing, right? Because laughing is contagious. And you might start laughing and then you might find that someone else in the other room is wondering what in the hell you're doing and they may come out and you both might start laughing. So laughing can shift you into a different autonomic state. Music, listening to music, easy peasy, that can shift your autonomic states. Mindful breathing, deep breaths. Remember that breathing changes your physiology and tells your body and all of your neural circuitry that you are not in danger. So deep, mindful breathing. 
jumping jacks, exercise, any kind of hard movement on the ground. So jumping jacks, um, uh, marching in place, that can shift your autonomic nervous system. Touch tapping, bilateral tapping. So you might cross your arms over your chest and you might start tapping your shoulders. Tap, 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 tap. That bilateral stimulation changes and activates your nervous system to help move you into a different autonomic state. Art, you could, again, it's hard when you're immobilized because motivation is an issue, but you can just get out a piece of paper and a pencil and start drawing whatever it is you feel, whatever it is you're experiencing. Art can activate your ventral vagus nervous system. Humming, chanting, or singing. Start singing at the top of your lungs. Start humming a jaunty little tune. Whistle if you can. Chanting as it chanting is one of those things that that regulates an autonomic nervous system, which is often why it's part of a meditative process. So chanting will also work. Do you have a pet nearby? Okay, can you grab your cat? Can you grab a dog? Anything that you can just lay with that increases autonomic nervous system flexibility. So any one of these things can be found and utilized indiscreetly and discreetly. So there's really no excuse for not being able to find something that activates your ventral vagal state. Let's finish this up by talking about kind of that mapping idea. And you can use the word mapping, exploring, whatever. It doesn't matter what word you use. And I gave you the image of the ladder so that you can basically see how we move up and down this ladder. But I want to talk about some other ways that you can explore your states. So I told you that I was using these Simply Polyvagal cards that I ordered from Etsy. They're fantastic, but you can't see them. So I'm just going to kind of talk through some of the ways that these cards can be used, right? So you can use any kind of visual that you want. Uh, you can create your own emotion cards. You can use an emotion wheel. You can do anything you want to create a bank of words that help you access language to describe your states, okay? On an emotion wheel or a feelings wheel, you've usually got five in the center and then the colors fan out until you have just multiple under every section. It's really important to have language for how you feel. So if your emotion language is stuck in sad, happy, mad, surprised, do yourself a favor and increase your vocabulary because it's really important to have more words. And it's useful maybe to also associate different colors to help you identify the three different states. So the social engaged state, the ventral vagal state, what color would you use to describe or to illustrate what it feels like to be in that state? Neuroception of danger, the fight or flight. What color might you use? If you are 
finding yourself in that state. And then the neuroception of threat, which is freeze. What color might you use? I did this with a nine-year-old client. We drew the ladder, we used words, we used colors, and it was really effective because color can help us, can help remind us of wanting to move back into a different state. And it's also a visual tracker, right? So you can use a calendar or a diary, and then you can reflect on your day at the end of any given day and log three or four or five different states that you experienced during the day. And so you're going to use different words that represent how you felt in those different states, and you might use colors. If you're artistic or not artistic, but if you want to use art or illustrations, get yourself a notebook and start illustrating your different autonomic states so that you can get more in touch with them, you can recognize them, and you see what they look like. One of my girls uses, I don't know if she's doing it anymore, but kind of in a bullet journal type thing, she, at the end of every day, she would color in... I think they were like emoji faces, you know, happy, sad, mad, whatever. She would color in using color somehow to describe her state. And this is not even knowing or understanding polyvagal. This is just her doing this. So color is often used as a way to help identify your emotional states. So color is a good way. Illustration, art, um, some kind of, you know, creative process is a good way to help tune into your autonomic states. So visual trackers. Um, some people might believe they are in one state more often than they're than they are in another state. And sometimes these visual trackers help give us more context and more perception. Go through your day and see, maybe try and identify two or three days out of every week, what specific situations seem to, quote, always put you in a certain state, unquote. Maybe you have a coworker who you really don't like. And maybe when you are around that coworker, you are always in a neuroception of danger, fight or flight, kind of mobilized state. Maybe you always feel defended. Maybe you always feel anxious or stressed around this person. You know, you can, you can detect what your states are. This is the mapping process. The mapping process, there's no solution right now. I mean, I did give you the activation experiences that you could do, but right now what I want you to do is I want you to see how your states impact you on a daily basis. That's what I'm looking for. And then this will give you the resourcing to help you see how in the upcoming holiday season with family and friends and preparation and stresses and shopping and finances and overwhelm, you can find ways to move back into your ventral vagal state or you can utilize your fight or flight mobilized state productively and hopefully, hopefully stay out of the freeze state, which is a very, very difficult place to be 
during the holiday season. And I recognize many, many people are there. And my heart goes out to you. And hopefully this gives you a little bit of resourcing to help yourself and maybe solicit from people who love you and who you love ways to help you stay more active between your sympathetic and your ventral vagal state. That would be my hope. But this mapping process is an opportunity to see how you react. So going back to that, you know, daily kind of inventory, do you have you know, are you a young mom and do you, what is your, what state are you in during nap time, right? Can you get all of your kids down at the same time? Do you use nap time as a time to be socially engaged, even with yourself, right? Caretaking yourself or self-care, or do you use nap time as a mobilized state where you're running around, you know, fighting off the mess or, you know, fleeing, fleeing from the mess, right? Maybe you react differently to that. And then when the kids start to wake up and you can hear the monitors start to make noise, do you go into an immobilized state? Do you feel the dread of the next four hours coming on? And does this happen every day or does this only happen a couple times a week? Does it happen when you're sick or when you have a headache? Does it happen when you and your spouse are fighting? So many things affect our autonomic states, right? So I want you to start to pay attention to this. So have some kind of tracking system and maybe two or three times a week at the end of every day, map your nervous system states and see what they are. And boy, this was such an easy podcast to do and I have no idea because I kind of dreaded it. So I'm going to end here. And before I end, I'm going to start by thanking Kylie, who has done a lot of work on the Instagram in the last few days to put up all of the resources that have been put up so far. So thank Kylie. Go buy some books for Christmas, buy them for yourself, wrap them, put them under the tree, buy them for your friends at work or your students or your coworkers or your friends and um, make the world a better place by self-help books. I guess that's what it is. I don't know. All right. You guys are awesome. Leave me a review. Leave me a negative review. I don't care. Leave me a positive review. That's better. And uh, send me some podcast ideas. If you want more information about holidays, about family, I'm probably going to implement it in terms of my, you know, passion projects, which is parenting and relationships and that kind of thing. But I'm more than happy to do some other diving. There's way more I can do with polyvagal, so I don't feel like I need to be done with it. I'd like to know how you guys are mapping your nervous systems, what you are experiencing, how you are seeing patterns show up maybe, and what you're doing about it. That would be really awesome. So um, leave me some comments. Um, I'll do some couple of Instagram reels this week that you can comment on. And um, give me a minute and I'll find a quote. Thoreau said, it's not what you look at that matters. It's what you see. And have a great week.